0: Hello and welcome to a special Thanksgiving episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and I hope you are having a great Thanksgiving day. I have just a a simple episode ahead. I will be chatting with Brian Earle from A Christmas Past Podcast, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, and I encourage you to give him a listen if you don't already. And then I'll be reading An Old-Fashioned Thanksgiving Written by Louisa May Alcott. If you missed it a couple episodes ago, I read her story, Tilly's Christmas, and it was a wonderful story of the power of showing kindness uh, to those in need. And so that's what we'll have uh, on the schedule for today. And I hope to be with you uh, in your ear today as you celebrate Thanksgiving or we'll begin decorating Christmas this weekend. And so without further ado, here is the interview with Brian Earle. This year, there's there's a lot I'm thankful for. One of the people I'm thankful for is Brian Earle and his podcast, The uh, Christmas Past. Uh, when I got started listening to Christmas podcasts, his was one of the first I found. Uh, his and uh, Lee Cameron's uh, Christmas Stocking podcast. And that kind of was my gateway into a, a bigger world of Christmas podcasts. And, uh, and so I'm excited today to have Brian Earle on my podcast. So uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Some, I think a lot of people in our community know who you are, but uh, for those who don't, could you just go ahead and introduce
1: yourself and talk a little bit about your podcast? Oh, sure. So I'm Brian Earle, and I have hosted a podcast called Christmas Past Since 2016. And the origin story behind that is it's kind of a long story, but I'm the kind of guy who I always have this notebook full of goals, long term goals, short term goals. Uh, Whenever I'm finished with one notebook, I sort of transfer everything left unfinished into the new one. And for a long time, I just had written down in my notebook, I want to do something Christmassy. I I didn't know what that meant. Uh, And it wasn't especially prominent as a goal. It was just mixed in with all the other ones. Uh, But then... I suppose it must have been around 2014 or 2015 when listening to podcasts became part of my daily life. I'd been listening to them for a while, but I was really getting into them around that time. And so when the Christmas season rolled around, I said, oh, gosh, I wonder if there are any Christmas podcasts. And most of the ones that I listened to at the time, podcasts in general, I mean, were like the NPR style ones, Freakonomics, Radiolab, things like that. And so I was specifically hoping that NPR had a Christmas podcast. And it turned out they didn't. Uh, They kind of do, for the record. There's the sort of greatest hits of holiday related stories that they release in podcast form, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. Uh, But what I did find, like you just mentioned, is one called uh, The Christmas Stocking" by Lee Cameron. And what I got out of that is that just uh, Joe somebody in their room can put together a Christmas podcast. Uh, It doesn't have to be long. Most of the podcasts I listened to are an hour, 45 minutes in length, and these were only 10 minutes long. Uh, And they were telling the stories behind Christmas traditions, which is something I was interested in doing. And so I think it was at that moment that those two pieces of information clicked where I I identified what I thought was sort of a need in the marketplace of where is the podcast that kind of sounds like if NPR had its own Christmas podcast. And then also, Oh, okay. Now I figured out what my little something Christmassy that I'm going to do is. So again, I think that was around 2015 in 2016, I started putting together my first season and then in December or rather Thanksgiving day of 2016, the first episodes came out. And so again, it's, um, every season I put out about a dozen or so episodes between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day, where I tell the backstory behind a Christmas tradition. And I'm doing it in a way that sort of emulates or models those NPR style news pieces where I'll interview a guest, but sort of cut it up into clips and mix it up with music. And then every one of those episodes at the end has a Christmas memory from a listener. Uh, Since then, I've actually branched out the second or third year I started doing a Christmas in July episode. Then I started doing a little bit more like as we're getting from, from September to Thanksgiving, I would. Put out a handful of, of episodes. Uh, and then this year in 2020, I went year round where at least once a month and probably oftentimes much more than that, uh, leading up until September, I'll put out an episode. But What I like to say is that the real heart and soul of the show is and will always be those episodes that come out between Thanksgiving and Christmas where I'm telling the story behind a Christmas tradition. The stuff that comes out during the rest of the year are more like interviews, roundtable discussions, trivia games. Uh, Sometimes I narrate some old Christmas fiction and things like that. And that's really just for the people who, uh, like me and like you too, I'm sure, uh, have Mm -hmm. the Christmas spirit all year round and sort of need someone to help fill that.
0: Yeah. And what some of our our listeners may not know is that actually... I mean my podcast is inspired in part by by yours and you had uh, an episode or maybe it was a uh, a YouTube video yeah. uh, a year ago or so and you were t- it was your uh, podcast wish list uh, and I know a couple of our pod- of podcasts have uh, been inspired from that post um, and mine included uh, you had mentioned one called uh, Christmas cozies and you said you didn't even know what it would be about <laughs> but it sounded like a good t- good title and you know and at that time I had been thinking about it. And, you know, here a year later or so, I was looking for a, a podcast name. You know, it's like with anything, if I can't seem to do anything until I get a name, you know, whether it's writing a story, whatever, I need that name. And then I happened to remember your that video. I went back and watched it. And then you, you were talking about Christmas cozies. And and I thought, you know, that's perfect. I I love Christmas because it is a cozy holiday. I know a lot of people can get pretty stressed around Christmas. I I tease my wife because she gets pretty busy during that time of year. And I I told her just last night, I said, I don't understand what's so busy. You just sit around and and read, don't you? That's what I do. (laughs) She didn't find that as funny as I did. but. Yeah. And I, and I, so I played around with that title and, and uh, you know, some of my other interests were it like, you know, you share memories and you occasionally will read a story and those are the things I really liked too. So I use some of those elements in mine and, you know, hopefully uh, I don't want to plagiarize you too much, but <laughs> you've, uh, it's been a, a great inspiration uh, for my podcast. And I've mentioned yours and um, Todd Killian's Christmas Clatter podcast mm. were both big inspirations. Uh, for my, for this one.
1: Oh, yeah. And I really love what Todd is doing. And, and that video that you mentioned was, I believe that might have been from 2018. And sure. that was the time where we started to see a lot of Christmas podcasts. I don't claim to be one of the original Christmas podcasts by any means, because even though Lee Cameron's was the first I found, there were a, a small handful of others, some that had kind of a religious and spiritual bend, some that were mainly focused on Christmas music. There was one that was just all old episodes from old time radio, which I really love. And then I came along in 2016. And shortly after that, that's when I noticed this sort of explosion of Christmas podcasts. And they all had one thing in common, which was that they're all three people reviewing TV uh, specials, you know, movies and and Christmas specials. Um, And it got me thinking, you know, Christmas is such a huge topic. It runs wide and deep in all directions. And sure, I love listening to people talk about Christmas movies and Christmas specials. But I think at a certain point, the market has met that need, right? Like We don't need more of those. We need think people to take things in different directions. And so, you know, Todd has this great general interest show, but it really, you know, there is kind of a spiritual bent to it. He has really fun and interesting categories that he's doing. Uh, There are other ones like, oh, no, I'm blanking on the name, but the fellow who talks about the history behind Christmas foods, uh, season's eatings, there it is. And, you know, I had said, oh, I'd love to have someone talk about the history behind Christmas songs. And right after that, Dwayne Bailey reached out all the way from New Zealand and talked about starting uh, Tinsel Tunes. I think he even used the original artwork that I put in my YouTube video. And yeah, like those are just things that I wanted to see because there is so much untapped potential when someone wants to start a Christmas podcast. There's so many different directions you can take it in. And uh, yeah, and and even just this season, there's like five or six new Christmas movie podcasts podcasts yeah yeah I'm glad to see you're you're kind of you know putting your own spin on it and finding a unique angle and a unique niche that's going to really make this your own you
0: know i I mean, I love Christmas movies and I love hearing people talk about Christmas movies. Uh, I would make a terrible movie reviewer because I pretty much love anything I watch <laughs> you know i i mean they' they'd all rate a ten on my on my watch list. It'd be a pretty yeah. boring podcast, and I wanted to keep it a little bit flexible even about what my show is about just to kind of chase my interests or change things up if I wanted to, you know, uh, so this week we're recording during, um, you know, Halloween week, and I'm going to be releasing three bonus episodes this week of me just reading some Halloween stories. And then I, I, I picked three and then I, I looked actually double checked in on your show and you actually read at least two of them that I'm reading this week. So. Oh, which, which ones are they? <laughs> I'm doing a, a kidnapped Santa Claus yeah, and the uh, oh, what's the other? Oh, um, the uh, the goblins who stole a sexton.
1: Oh yeah, that's a that's a good one.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that one because I I have I have a pretty large Charles Dickens presence in my podcast, so mm-hmm. that to me was was a no brainer. The first one I'm releasing is called the uh, the the tapestry chamber, uh, which is an old um. It, I, I guess it was. You know, one of those old Victorian Christmas stories, but it didn't really have anything to do with Christmas. And it was a, just a kind of a scary story. And I thought, you know, that's, that's, this feels good for a, a Halloween story.
1: I'm putting one out later uh, before Halloween. So by the time your listeners hear this, it'll already be out there. Uh, and it's a it's sort of the same thing you were describing. It's a, quote unquote Christmas story insofar as it takes place during Christmas, but that's pretty much it. There's no other Christmas atmosphere or details in it. Uh, And it's a story called Smee. And if anyone has a chance to read it or listen to the episode, I would advise you to check it out. It is genuinely creepy. It's a ghost story. It's a creepy ghost story about a very creepy game of hide and seek. Uh, However, it was a game that took place during the Christmas season, so yeah, check that one out. Who wrote that? Gosh, I'm not gonna remember or, the name. Remember? It's from 1913. Okay, because um,
0: okay. it sounded familiar. Actually, I might, maybe I came. I haven't read it. I may have come across it. So I knew going in. You know, I wanted to tell stories, and because for me, that's what really makes Christmas cozy. Is to you know to to be sitting by the tree, to be you know under your blanket with a cup of hot cocoa or eggnog, and and reading a story. And, you know, as I was thinking about starting a podcast, you know, I had a lot of interests. Uh, Charles Dickens is a huge interest of mine. Um, books are, Christmas was, and I thought, boy, there's a way I could combine all of these things into, <laughs> into one. So I've been able to now interview some authors and and some musicians and things in upcoming episodes. And that part's been really exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. Just Just to be able to talk to people about, you know, my favorite holiday, that's And not to be told to be quiet. It's too early. (laughs) It's too early to talk about Christmas. Oh, that's been the probably the best part. So now, as you mentioned, you share a lot of stories uh, on your on your podcast. Do you have a favorite uh, author
1: or a favorite Christmas story? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Fiction or nonfiction? Do you? Uh,
0: You know, honestly, fiction or nonfiction? Either one. One of both.
1: Yeah. So let's see for nonfiction story. Well, there's the uh, semi-autobiographical, maybe it's called A Christmas Memory by Truman Capote. Mm -hmm. Um, That one is is one of my favorites. And all all the ones that I would consider my favorites, they're ones that I would discover later on in life. Uh, I think the ones that you grow up with, I think you reach a certain age where you kind of associate them with maybe just with Christmas in general or with Uh, childhood. And so for a while you're trying to outgrow them. And then for a while you're just sort of accepting them as part of the recurring scenery of Christmas and not really taking as face value as just, you know, stories um, that just work as, as good stories to read. I mean, when it comes to nonfiction stories uh, at at the risk of like sounding like I'm promoting myself, there were some ones, there was an episode I put out last year about the backstory to uh, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Yeah. And that's, a, it's a really interesting story and it is not the story, the protagonist of that story is not who you think it is. It's not Virginia. It is the editor of the newspaper, uh, Francis Church, who wrote this really nice piece about, you know, faith and belief and all of that, who like an avowed atheist uh, had written a lot of, of stories or written a lot of articles, um, you know, with, with a very skeptical and critical thinking mindset. Uh, and then he sort of, for whatever reason, we don't really know, had written this response to this girl who was maybe looking for reassurance, maybe sort of clinging to the last little bits of her childhood and youth and really like wanting to restore some magic uh, to, to her life. And, it's almost like one of those real life stories of, of this curmudgeonly person who's overtaken by the spirit of Christmas, whose heart melts just a little bit and is able to just soften up just just a little bit and just enough at just the right moment. So um, of all of the nonfiction stuff that I've done for Christmas past, that's the one I, I kind of can't stop thinking about. Um, I, I really like it. But when it comes to the the fiction stories, um, yeah, it really does tend to be the classics. And, and again, like I mentioned Smee, which um The reason I like that one, I I recently discovered Christmas ghost stories in general a couple of years ago. I did another episode just about the whole backstory behind Christmas ghost stories. Because I think most people nowadays, you hear that Andy Williams song from It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And so there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories. And you say, hold on, why would there be scary ghost stories? The the only one I know is maybe a Christmas carol. And they're they're not really ghosts. They're spirits. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what's going on there? And then the more you dig into it, the more I understood that. You know, nowadays, Christmas stories seem to come in just a very small handful of flavors. Um, If you look at Hallmark movies, they're all about a new romance that happens during the Christmas season. And every other one is that, you know, that's not that kind of romance um, story is usually someone who just doesn't have the Christmas spirit, who by the end, they do have the Christmas spirit, right? Like someone who just needs to understand the meaning of Christmas or... Sometimes the edgier ones are about people like going to visit their family and it's, you know, it's kind of a a mess. Those are like our three basic Christmas stories. But a long time ago, you know, Christmas romances were, were just not common at all. Christmas ghost stories were very common, very popular, especially during the Victorian era. And also during that time, a lot of stories were about homecomings. There was one, uh, Ricky Meese, who has a podcast called The Sleigh Bells and Mistletoe Podcast, is also a professional broadcaster. And so she read a story called As the U-Log Burns. And I published that on Christmas Past as a four part series. And that's a really good example of what a lot of Christmas stories were like back in the Victorian times and earlier than that. Almost always about these kids moved off to the big city and they're coming home to visit their family. It's like these family being back together again. And it makes sense at the time because this is when, you know, like travel by rail, moving really far away from where you were born became like a pretty common thing that really wasn't the case before. And so the, the stories that people would write were really inspired by things like that, you know, that people living far away, which wasn't a, a really normal thing for average families and coming back together for Christmas. I really can't say why we've gotten to a point now where the average Christmas story is the story of a couple coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really, it would be an interesting thing to explore. Uh, I don't have a hard time understanding why they're popular, you know, for sure. And I don't have a hard time understanding why we have so many of them now. Like, I think you can pretty easily pinpoint the few networks and publishing houses behind that kind of thing. But how we got from there to here is is probably there's an interesting story behind that.
0: I came across a video. It's, it's about a three or four minute long video. The um, lady, uh, I think she's a professor and... She was talking about Victorian ghost stories and how it tied into the um, technology and the and the fears of the society at the time, and even in how seances developed. and And there was, you know, the the wrapping the and tapping, and that kind of coincides with communicating with like Morse code and over. Um, oh, I can't think of the word now. The uh, anyway, uh, yeah. you know, the whole thing with the trains that you're talking about and people traveling far and wide and all these things. It's uh, it was really interesting. I mean, it's only a couple minutes long. And I think I shared that on, at least on my Twitter uh, feed. I think, it, as you're saying, it'll be neat to maybe look back now to our culture and see, you know, what was going on that maybe drew us to these particular kinds of stories.
1: Yeah. And it's it's interesting, the, the thing about the romance, because like, if you look at data, and I think I mentioned this in an episode I did a long time ago, if you look at the data for dating app usages during the holiday season, it's at its lowest point of the year, right? Like, like no one starts dating during the holidays, right? Romances do not blossom during the holidays, but so many (laughs) of our current Christmas stories are are about exactly that happening. So they're, they're, you know, unlikely uh, for no other reason than that. You know, it's, it's funny because when my wife and I,
0: before we started dating, it was, we're at that stage where we, you know, we were very interested in each other, but hadn't, you know, Talked about the elephant in the room, as it were, <laughs> uh, but it was around Christmas time, and uh, you know we were kind of being flirty with each other and all that. And it it, it is maybe not the best time of year to start dating, but it, it does have some. We have some special memories about that time of year. You know, we we think. You know, it just reminds us of of how we we met and and we're developing an interest in each other. But yeah. I, I suppose either Christmas or Valentine's Day are two days you want to stay away from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I like to share is there's memory. To me, it's just part of telling a story. We tell our own stories and we we tell each other's stories. And I think stories can have a a. a are a powerful tool to help people, you know, find their identity, to see themselves in a story. It can be a pretty powerful experience. And I know we both enjoy sharing people's stories. And so I like to ask my visitors if they have a favorite Christmas memory or a tradition.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to Christmas stories, I don't know if you're the same way, but I find that most of my Christmas memories that take the form of an anecdote, like this thing happened that one time, are mostly from when I was older, uh, you know, mm-hmm. later in life. Most of my Christmas memories from being younger are more like situational, things like we would do this, this is what Christmas morning would look like, but really no specific stories other than that story that everyone has, which is that you know their, their favorite gift they ever got. Mm-hmm. And I actually dedicated the whole episode to this one time. For years, I really wanted this set of magic tricks that came from uh, this is a regional uh, department store chain that's no longer around. When I lived in New England, called Service Merchandise, and at the beginning of the holiday season, probably somewhere around October, we would get this huge like doorstopper of a catalog. I think no one does that anymore. Um, you remember the old Sears Wish Books and yep. Macy's. And yep. Amazon's starting to do something like that again, but I mean, back in the day, this was a big telephone book-sized thing, and of course, you know, the kids would just dog ear the pages and all that, and. Even to this day, reading a Christmas catalog, I find to be just a really cozy, festive experience. I still get the Vermont country store catalog and I'll actually sit down and read it. Like I'll make a point to sit on the sofa and read the catalog copy. I feel like it gets me into the spirit and almost certainly that traces back to reading all of the toy descriptions and the service merchandise catalog. And so there was one, um, and this is a sign of the times, they probably wouldn't name a magic trick set this anymore, but it was called Chinese illusions of magic. Uh, and the way it was characterized was, you know, like secrets from the mystics of the Orient, you know, revealed for the first time, you know, that kind of thing. And, oh Oh, I wanted that so badly. And I had dog-eared the page and I had drawn a big circle around it and I had dropped every hint I possibly could. And one Christmas morning comes along and and i had opened up all of my presents but one there was one left it was a box roughly the size and shape that i thought this magic set would come in and when i opened it it, it wasn't it I, I don't know what it was i forget what it was actually in it It might have been a toy truck or, or something along those lines and i could tell my parents just saw the look in my face and um and the picture or, or i'm sorry the the little what do you call it, gift tag mm-hmm. had said to brian from santa And I did a whole separate episode about this too, is that look that they gave each other when they knew that I wasn't going to get what I wanted sort of like helped me understand something that everyone comes to understand about Christmas sooner or later. But then the next year I finally did get Chinese illusions of magic. And that thing, I I mean, I walked around with that thing just doing magic tricks for anyone who would pay attention to me. When I, when my mom sold the house that I grew up in, this was a, 20 years ago. Uh, that thing was why it had been in the attic the entire time. Like after I outgrew it, it went up in the attic with a bunch of other things and it had just stayed there forever and ever. And it was a little trip down memory lane to sort of see that before it got thrown away in the trash. So that's really like my story of that that one Christmas gift that I I want. It was kind of felt like it might've been the one that got away, you know, and then I finally got it and it was everything I thought it would be. Uh, And even to this day, I still, you know, love doing a good card trick every now and then. So
0: I was going to ask, do you still uh, have some magic up your sleeve? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit,
1: actually. (laughs) That's great. Um, And when it comes to Christmas traditions, you know, I I think it's sort of generic to say, well, we'd all get together. You know, that's what everybody does. One perhaps quirk of my family is that at the end of the Christmas, celebration, after we'd opened up all the gifts, we would all crumple the, all the, the gift wrap into balls and have a sort of like an indoor mock snowball fight. And that was something my uncle did when we were over at my grandparents' house. And then we started doing it at my house. I'm from a family of five children, and two parents, just a lot, the, the whole floor was littered with gift wrap and we would just have this massive um, snowball fight. And something we started doing recently is again, because I come from a, a family of five. Um, around Christmas time, it was always a hassle, you know, we're going to, is everyone going to buy one another a gift? Or do we draw names and decide who exchanges? We did that for a while. And no matter what we ended up doing, it was always the same. We'd always just get each other Starbucks gift cards or Amazon gift cards. It's the whole, you know, just pass the money around in a circle kind of thing. <laughs> you know, We all just go to that little gift kiosk and it's kind of like that old Mitch Hedberg joke about those gift cards, where it's like, okay, I took money that was good anywhere and turned it into money that's only good, like in one <laughs> specific context. I'm not a fan of those. Yeah. So, what we decided to do is make an enormous pinata. Um, my mom used to do this, where she, I don't know if you know those old paper mache homemade pinatas where you blow up an enormous balloon and cover it with paper mache. Oh, and sure. then after the paper mache dries, you pop the balloon. So now you have this hollow shell. And the idea was we would each just bring a bag of of stuff, just stuff, you know, like stocking stuffers, stuff that you find here and there. It it could be homemade stuff, store-bought stuff, you know, just like a, a stockings worth of stuff. And everyone would put it into the pinata without anyone else looking what was in it. And so that's been sort of our sibling Christmas tradition for the last five or six years now. Uh, which makes it, you know, like a lot more fun. It's a lot less pressure. It's not about what's inside. It's more about the fun of it, anyway. So there's really no thinking necessarily that has to go into what you're getting. We're getting mm-hmm. one another. So I would recommend that to anyone who comes from a big family or is as sick as of gift cards as I am. A Christmas pinata <laughs> is is a lot of fun.
0: That, that's that's neat. I hadn't heard of that. Doing that. Um, boy, I'd be, I'd be diving in for any, uh, any Amazon gift cards though. (laughs) 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 might hurt someone. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, for me, I, and I may have shared this memory, I think maybe on my first episode, uh, I, I have my daughter Grace on a lot and we talk, uh, and do some fun stuff. And, um, but for me, one of my favorite presents was, uh, I got some, you know, how to draw books when I was a kid they were in my stocking. I think um, they're actually from my grandparents, um, but they knew I kind of liked to um, doodle and draw. And I was, I was maybe seven or eight years old, but for me, this was like, this was, uh, this was an amazing gift. And usually, you know, stockings aren't your big gift item, but that's, I mean, for me, that's the gift I remember from Christmas that year, because it, inspired a lifelong love of of art of of drawing of photography of just you know all that creative stuff and and i love it when when a gift can inspire you know a bigger interest Mm -hmm. uh, in something and that just helps you to maybe develop a new hobby or just takes you off in a new direction another great one was uh, a couple years ago my my wife got me it's kind of an early christmas present we we got to go see uh gerald dickens perform a a one-man version of a christmas carol and he's uh you know charles dickens is great 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 grandson i think is uh, maybe got one too many greats in there but uh you know dickens was kind of uh, he's always been uh, one of my favorite writers but then to go and see you know his great great grandson perform a Christmas Carol, like maybe Charles Dickens would have back in the day. Uh, I mean, it it was like throwing fuel on a flame. You know, <laughs> it just it, it inspired a greater love and a greater interest. And so now at, at home, I have this huge bookshelf of not just all of Dickens's works, but uh, books about Dickens. I mean, sometimes I'll come across a new biography or or a book about his writing, and I'll get that and my wife will be like another one. (laughs) Yeah. I said, look at it this way. Buying all these books is going to be a lot cheaper than me flying to England to, to get like a master of arts degree and in Dickens (laughs) studies, uh,
1: which, you know, they have one or they have several programs like that in, in England. And yeah, I've actually met somebody who completed that program Uh, here in the San Francisco Bay area. Every year there is something called the Dickens fair. Yeah. And, Uh, It is where they transform the inside of a warehouse into the streets of Victorian London and everyone dresses up. And if you can imagine the Renaissance Festival, but for Victorian Christmas, um, that's the basic idea. And in fact, the, the family that puts it on is the family that started the Renaissance Fairs back in the 60s. Uh, so it's just really immersive um, prof- uh, experience. And actually I was able to, a couple years ago, I went and recorded some stuff about Charles Dickens. And mm-hmm. last year, Tim Babb from Can't Wait for Christmas and I put on a live show from there. And the format of the show is we were bringing people up and asking them trivia questions, among other things. And one of the women who came up, uh, I was talking to her afterwards and she said, yes, she had gotten her master's degree in Charles Dickens studies And I don't know if you're aware of this, there's a Charles Dickens Museum in London, and they have a really good YouTube channel where they talk about all kinds of stuff and among other things, how to make a traditional Christmas pudding. And just last week, I actually tried to make that very Christmas pudding. Um, And it is very boozy tasting. My goodness, you you put (laughs) a lot of brandy into it. And uh, I generally, I don't really enjoy the flavor of alcohol like ever, uh, but I just Uh figured I wanted to have the The full experience. And uh, if I tried it again, I'd probably put less booze in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm familiar with that uh, channel. I I follow that. So uh, I I think I might have seen that same video and I couldn't help but think, man, they must have all just been drunk. (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, I think they were also—they didn't have refrigeration or other forms of preservation, so they were sure. probably putting a lot of alcohol into things to make sure, darn sure that anything <laughs> uh, that could possibly kill you, kill you, was killed first.
0: You know, I—I I read somewhere that if you you read a certain amount of hours or pages, it's equivalent to this kind of a degree or whatever. You know, it's a mm-hmm. crazy high amount, but I thought, well, that sure that'll be an easy way, and so I just kind of, you know, follow my interest and passion where, where it takes me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, that was a a, a date we were able to have around Christmas time. And that again, just kind of helped inspire, uh, you know, a more of a deeper interest in something. And those things are always great when they happen. Yeah. You know, other than, Oh, another tie. Great. I'll, (laughs) I'll (laughs) I'll wear that. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I like Christmas ties, so. (laughs) When, when we uh, air this episode, it's going to be pretty close to Chris, uh, well, not Christmas, Thanksgiving. And uh, of course, I think many people have the tr- tradition of sharing uh, things that they're thankful for. And, uh, you know, I know, Brian, I, I asked if you could come up with a couple of things you're thankful for. And, and, I'm, uh, and I'll share some as well. Uh, but you want to go ahead and uh, go first?
1: Sure. Well, the things that I'm thankful for this year, especially, um, and I don't know if there's such a thing as being pre-thankful for something, but uh, as you and I were talking before we started rolling, I'm about to become a dad for the first time, uh, like a week from today, and so I guess at this stage I can say I'm thankful that that's going to happen, and then by the time the episode comes out, I will be thankful that it has happened. Um, There's a you know there's a lot that goes into all of that. You know, again, first timer, so I don't really quite know what I'm getting myself in for. I have some ideas, Um, but you know, we'll be able to celebrate our first Christmas together. Um, You know, most of my family's on the East coast. Most of my wife's just the same thing. So it'll just be the three of us. And, you know, I'm glad that at least we'll be able to have some sort of family Christmas experience in whatever form that might take in a crazy year like this. Uh, So definitely thankful for that. Thankful for my wife. We've been together um, since 1998, if you can believe that. Yeah. Wow. Um, And also a few years ago, I moved out to California and from from New England. And while I miss New England this time of year in the fall, uh, there's nothing quite like just living out here where it's beautiful and sunny every single day. Um, And I don't take stuff like that for granted. I kind of thought I would. But every day that I go outside and go for a bike ride, I'm just I'm really glad that that's part of uh, my life. And, you know, again, like it might sound silly because it might sound like a small thing to the average person, but for people like you and me, uh, the Christmas podcast is something that, you know, I've really been very thankful for, especially because, you know, like I said, for a long time, I knew I wanted some creative outlet for uh, my, my love of Christmas. And I wanted a way to be able to celebrate all year round um, in a way that felt legit, right? <laughs> that, that I actually had something to work on. And you know, so it started out as this little hobby, but it, it's really blossomed now. You know, I, I did live shows last year. They were flying me out for conferences. If we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, it would be the same kind of thing. It's just, it's opened a lot of doors. I've made a lot of really good friends. I uh, get to talk to interesting people like you. It's just been really gratifying overall. Uh, and not only that, but you sort of learn a bunch of different things, as I'm sure you've discovered. It's not... You don't just record a podcast. You sort of have to learn how to do social media. You have to learn how to be something of an audio engineer and a web designer and and all of those kinds of things. And so it's been sort of horizon expanding in a lot of ways. And yeah, it's just really been one of the more fulfilling, creative things that I've done. And I'm a full-time designer, so I do creative stuff for a living. So uh, that's saying something. And so let that be, I don't know, inspiration to anyone listening. If you want to start a Christmas podcast, A don't review TV uh, shows and movies, it's been done. Uh, but be definitely pursue it and reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you. it, it really uh, has been a wonderful experience. And for that, I'm very thankful.
0: You know, some of mine are, uh, that I'm thankful for, we're gonna overlap again. So it, it's great minds think alike here. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I'm thankful for my family, which is generic, I know. But I, I think especially in a, in, I don't know, in, in the world, in our culture today, we just see so much um, hate and so much uh, anger and all this. That I think it's good to really be thankful for those for those basic things, you know. I, and I am. I'm thankful for my family. You know, I've been able to use this podcast even to do things with my family. Uh, like I have Grace on a lot. She. I asked my kids if they wanted to be on the podcast. And, you know, she was like, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> and she jumped, she jumped at the chance and uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. And uh, I, I refer to her as the pot, the more popular of the two hosts. Um, <laughs> she's got a, a little fan club, but doing that, my son, my oldest son, he, uh, he's really into music and writing music, playing music. So he, uh, he wrote our little intro theme and, He'll write a couple of the songs I'll play when I'm talking or something. He doesn't do all of them, but uh, sometimes I'll ask him for something specific and he'll be able to get that for me. Mm-hmm. He's a really great musician, uh, I think. And uh, so I, I'm happy to let him have a part of that too. So, you know, our podcast kind of becomes a family affair and uh, that's and that's fun. And then also, you know, I, I'm, like you said, I'm, I'm grateful for technology that's able to connect us um you know through the podcast I, I like you said i've been able to meet uh interesting people uh you know my first interview was with an author whose work i greatly admired and and we both have a shared interest in um the old uh, sci-fi writer ray bradbury and so i was able to have him on we got to talk about ray bradbury uh he he wrote one christmas story or just a couple but he he's know he wrote a lot of halloween stories and things and i got to meet him over zoom i mean i just uh, kind of a whim thought yeah i'll just send him a request see what happens and you know hey he's like yeah sure absolutely Mm -hmm. uh and so that's been neat uh just to to get to reach out and and especially during a time when you know we're all socially distant and we're all maybe in quarantine and having to be apart from people to still have the ability to reach out and have a, a meaningful connection uh you know i know Social media can get a bad rap sometimes, which, you know, to be fair, <laughs> there's, uh, it's given a lot of people a voice that maybe <laughs> needs to be quiet. Uh, but uh, in any case, it gives us a chance to, uh, uh, to do something positive with it, uh, which I, I think is really needed right now. Mm-hmm. I'm also thankful for just the ability to tell stories um, for people who have that creative gift to, to write. And that they're willing to share that and they're and they're wanting to get published and you know to get their voice out there to get their story out uh you know that's why i i'm trying and looking for authors to to interview to promote their work uh and i have some friends who are writers and they've talked about how much of a struggle it is to to break into that mainstream uh, venue but I, i love hearing people's voices and whatever their story is and Whatever, you know, what whatever story they're trying to tell, I want to try to help them get that out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, stories are powerful and it can help people find their identity and, you know, find who they are. And whether it's somebody sharing a story about themselves or a fictional story, I think it's great. One of my listeners sent in a, a memory that I've just shared and it was, it was a very short story, but it was, it really resonated with me. Uh, her name is Rachel and she shared the story of how her dad was kind of a, kind of a, a Scrooge. They, they would tease him about being kind of a Scrooge. Uh, but when she went away to college and then she came home from college, her dad had um, decorated the outside of the house and Christmas lights and he was waiting for her and so excited to see her reaction to it. Um, you know, very uncharacteristic of him from the sounds of it. And, you know, something like that. I, I just, I thought that is a really sweet story. And, uh, you know, unfortunately her dad had passed away. uh, I don't know how long ago now, but, you know, she said that's one of the stories she remembers uh, from him. And, you know, it's things like that, that I want to share on, on this podcast. Uh, Yeah. Just to, you know, not just give somebody the warm, the warm cozies and the, the, the warm Christmas feelings, but to, you know, to share a story that might have an impact on someone else that says, Hey, you know, I can do something simple like that. I'll put up Christmas lights and Maybe I'll bring somebody some uh, some cheer who might need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the ability to tell stories is such a a profound one, and uh, one that I want to encourage people to do. Brian, as we we look over this past year, I, I I know there's been a lot of hard things, but there's so much we have to be thankful for this year.
1: You know, I think it's been such a a crazy year for a lot of people. And I think there's some people seem to think that once this year is over, everything is going to just stop on January 1st. And unfortunately, you know, th- this is a process that we're all in. And so that's why it's more important than than ever, perhaps, to really focus on the things that we're thankful for, um, the things that are really meaningful. Because once you sort of get rid of a lot of the the nonsense in your life or the things, you know, that you used to do Uh, maybe more by habit or through peer pressure or or something like that, that you can no longer do, you realize that they're not that important or they never were in the first place. And one thing I I did is um, early on during the pandemic, I'd find myself, uh, you know, working, of course, but having a lot more time at home. And I would fill it with things like, you know, looking at social media and things like that. And after a while you say, I don't even care about this. I just don't know what else to do with all of this free time that I have. Uh, And free time is a gift, you know, there's, there's only so much time. And so I casually played piano for a little while, uh, but, you know, I sort of doubled down on it most recently and you're walking a tight line by saying like, Oh, well, one of the good things that are coming out of this pandemic because it's a pandemic, there are no good things about a pandemic, but um, there are, are happy side effects. Maybe that's a better way to put it. That, You know, things like that, you can really, you know, just spend more time on the things that you think are important and realize what things really aren't important to you. And so, yeah, this is, if nothing else, this is just a really good time to focus on what, you know, you actually are thankful for. And we're starting to see a a little bit of a trend this year with Christmas already, where there's not going to be a lot of brick and mortar shopping. There's probably not going to be quite as much travel as there was or family gatherings, although, um... I hate to sound pessimistic. I think a lot of people are just going to, that's going to be their breaking point. They're going to get together at Christmas, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people are people. They're going to do what they're going to do. But I would say that your your own health and safety and that of the people you love should guide every decision you make there. So, you know, please, everybody, please be careful. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're starting to see how a lot of people are, are trying to sort of scale down Christmas this year and think of ways to make it more meaningful. Maybe it's more about, you know, less about the gifts and more about just the connections, and that's a very cliche thing to say. Someone says that in some way, shape, or form every year, but this year, it, this might be the catalyst that we need to say, you know, hey, yeah. maybe, maybe it's like smaller handmade gifts. Maybe it's more about focusing on the time that we have rather than the hustle and bustle of the season.
0: Well, I, I know, you know, my wife and I were talking about Christmas, and because so many things are being either shut down or or minimized, Mm. you know, or in smaller amounts, you know, my kids hardly have any Christmas related school activity. Uh, You know, a lot of the things we usually would do have been canceled or, or pared down drastically. And, you know, like you said, a pandemic is not a good thing, but there's good that can come out of it. Mm. And and one is that we're going to have time to just relax and spend time with each other, which you know, this is my son's, my oldest son's last year living at home. He's about, he's going to go to college. He's going to graduate high school. Um, And so there's going to be now that new stage of life where we don't get to see him as often. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's sad, but it's, you know, it's good and it's healthy, but, you know, we're going to be able to slow down a bit and enjoy some more time with him. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a good thing. Um, I've noticed a lot of, uh, creative endeavors coming from this time, uh, whether it's um, stories or music or things like that, that people are like, "Hey, I'm stuck home home for you know three weeks or three months. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna learn an instrument or I'm gonna write a story. I'm gonna do that novel I've always wanted to do, but didn't get a chance to. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's there's always that opportunity to to take something bad and we can turn that into something good." Mm-hmm. Uh, or some some good can come from it. Well, uh, Brian, I want to just thank you so much for stopping by, and uh, at least uh, virtually anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for taking the time to to chat uh, all things Christmas and a little bit of Thanksgiving. We're hoping uh, you and your wife have a have a good uh, rest of your year, and that when your baby comes, uh, that there's going to be a lot of good times ahead for you.
1: Yeah, well, thanks very much. I really enjoyed coming on today.
0: You bet, you bet. And uh, get get the, get your sleep while you can. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. So you take care and I uh, hope, hope you have a, a
1: happy Thanksgiving. You too. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. Have you ever wondered why we sing and eat figgy pudding during the holidays? How does the butter letter from 11th century Rome create the perfect holiday dessert. Join me, Glenn Warren, on Seasons Eatings as we explore the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. So head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com to subscribe on your podcast app of choice.
0: Okay, and then up next is the story, An Old-Fashioned Thanksgiving by Louisa May Alcott, published in 1882. So grab a turkey leg, sit yourself down by the fireplace, and let's enjoy a Thanksgiving story. An Old Fashioned Thanksgiving by Louisa May Alcott Sixty years ago, up among the New Hampshire hills lived Farmer Bassett with a house full of sturdy sons and daughters growing up about him. They were poor in money, but rich in land and love, for the wide acres of wood, corn, and pasture-land fed, warmed, and clothed the flock, while mutual patience, affection, and courage made the old farmhouse a very happy home. November had come, the crops were in, and barn, buttery, and bin were overflowing with the harvest that rewarded the summer's hard work. The big kitchen was a jolly place just now for in the great fireplace roared a cheerful fire. On the walls hung garlands of dried apples, onions, and corn. Up aloft from the beams shone crook-necked squashes, juicy hams, and dried venison. For in those days deer still haunted the deep forests, and hunters flourished. Savory smells were in the air. On the crane hung steaming kettles, and down among the red embers copper saucepans simmered all suggestive of some approaching feast. A white-headed baby lay in the old blue cradle that had rocked seven other babies, now and then lifting his head to look out like a round full moon, then subsided to kick and crow contentedly, and sucked the rosy apple he had no teeth to bite. Two small boys sat on the wooden settle shelling corn for popping and picking out the biggest nuts from the goodly store their own hands had gathered in October. Four young girls stood at the long dresser, busily chopping meat, pounding spice, and slicing apples, and the tongues of Tilly, Prue, Roxy, and Rhody went as fast as their hands. Farmer Bassett and F., the oldest boy, were chorn round outside, for Thanksgiving was at hand, and all must be in order for that time-honored day. To and fro, from table to hearth, bustled buxom Mrs. Bassett, flushed and flowery, but busy and blithe as the queen bee of this busy little hive should be. I do like to begin seasonable and have things to my mind. Thanksgiving dinners can't be drove, and it does take a sight of victuals to fill all these hungry stomachs, said the good woman, as she gave a vigorous stir to the great kettle of cider apple sauce, and cast a glance of housewifely pride at the fine array of pies set forth on the buttery shelves. Only one more day and then it will be time to eat, I didn't take but one bowl of hasty pudding this morning, so I shall have plenty of room when the nice things come, confided Seth to Saul as he cracked a large hazelnut as easily as a squirrel. No need of my starving beforehand, I always have room enough, and I'd like to have Thanksgiving every day, answered Solomon, gloating like a young ogre over the little pig that lay nearby, ready for roasting. Sakes alive, I don't, boys, it's a mercy it don't come but once a year. I should be worn to a thread paper with all this extra work atop of my winter weaving and spinning, laughed their mother, as she plunged her plump arms into the long bread trough and began to knead the dough as if a famine was at hand. Tilly, the oldest girl, a red-cheeked, black-eyed lass of fourteen, was grinding briskly at the mortar, for spices were costly, and not a grain must be wasted. Prue kept time with the chopper, and the twins sliced away at the apples till their little brown arms ached for all knew how to work, and did so now with a will. I think it's real fun to have Thanksgiving at home. I'm sorry Grandma is sick, so we can't go there as usual, but I like to mess round here, don't you, girls? asked Tilly, pausing to take a sniff at the spicy pestle. It will be kind of lonesome with only our own folks. I like to see all the cousins and aunts and have games and sing, cried the twins, who were regular little romps, and could run, swim, coast, and shout as well as their brothers. I don't care a mite for all that. It will be so nice to eat dinner together, warm and comfortable at home, said quiet Prue, who loved her own cozy nooks like a cat. Come, girls, fly round and get your chores done so we can clear away for dinner just as soon as I clap my bread into the oven, called Mrs. Bassett presently, as she rounded off the last loaf of brown bread, which was to feed the hungry mouths that seldom tasted any other. Here's a man coming up the hill, lively. Guess it's Gad Hopkins. Pa told him to bring a dozen oranges if they weren't too high, shouted Saul and Seth, running to the door, while the girls smacked their lips at the thought of this rare treat, and baby threw his apple overboard, as if getting ready for a new cargo. But all were doomed to disappointment, for it was not Gad with the much-desired fruit. It was a stranger who threw himself off his horse and hurried up to Mrs. Bassett in the yard, with some brief message that made the farmer drop his axe and look so sober that his wife guessed at once some bad news had come. And crying, "'Mother's worse! I know she is!' out ran the good woman, forgetful of the flour on her arms and the oven waiting for its most important batch. The man said old Mr. Chadwick, down to Keene, stopped him as he passed and told him to tell Mrs. Bassett her mother was failing fast and she better come today. He knew no more, and having delivered his errand, he rode away, "'saying it looked like snow and he must be jogging "'or he wouldn't get home till night. "'We must go right off. "'Hitch up and I'll be ready in less than no time,' said Mrs. Bassett, "'wasting not a minute in tears and lamentations, "'but pulling off her apron as she went in, "'with her mind in a sad jumble of bread, anxiety, turkey, sorrow, "'haste, and cider applesauce. "'A few words told the story "'and the children left their work to help her get ready.' mingling their grief for Grandma with regrets for the lost dinner. I'm dreadful sorry, dears, but it can't be helped. I couldn't cook nor eat, no way, now, and if that blessed woman gets better sudden as she has before, we'll have cause for Thanksgiving, and I'll give you a dinner you won't forget in a hurry, said Mrs. Bassett, as she tied on her brown silk pumpkin hood with a sob for the good old mother who had made it for her. Not a child complained after that, but ran about helpfully, bringing moccasins, heating the footstone, and getting ready for a long drive, because Grandma lived twenty miles away and there were no railroads in those parts to whisk people to and fro like magic. By the time the old yellow sleigh was at the door, the bread was in the oven, and Mrs. Bassett was waiting with her camlet cloak on and the baby done up like a small bale of blankets. Now, F., you must look after the cattle like a man, and keep up the fires, for there's a storm brewing, and neither the children nor dumb critters must suffer, said Mr. Bassett as he turned up the collar of his rough coat and put on his blue mittens, while the old mare shook her bells as if she preferred a trip to Keene to Hollingwood all day. Tilly, put extra comfortables on the beds tonight. The wind is so searchin' up chamber. Have the baked beans and Indian pudding for dinner, and whatever you do, don't let the boys get at the mince pies. Oh you'll have them down sick. I shall come back the minute I can leave mother. Pa will come tomorrow anyway, so keep snug and be good. I depend on you, my daughter. Use your judgment, and don't let nothing happen while mother's away. Yes, em, yes, am goodbye, goodbye, called the children, as Mrs. Bassett was packed into the sleigh and driven away, leaving a stream of directions behind her. F., the sixteen-year-old boy, immediately put on his biggest boots, Assumed a sober, responsible manner and surveyed his little responsibilities with a paternal air drolly like his father's. Tillie tied on her mother's bunch of keys, rolled up the sleeves of her homespun gown, and began to order about the younger girls. They soon forgot poor granny and found it great fun to keep house all alone, for mother seldom left home, but ruled her family in the good old fashioned way. There were no servants, for the little daughters were mrs Bassett's only maids. And the stout boys helped their father, all working happily together with no wages but love, learning in the best manner the use of the heads and hands with which they were to make their own way in the world. The few flakes that caused the farmer to predict bad weather soon increased to a regular snowstorm, with gusts of wind, for up among the hills winter came early and lingered long. But the children were busy, gay, and warm indoors, and never minded the rising gale nor the whirling white storm outside. Tilly got them a good dinner, and when it was over, the two elder girls went to their spinning. For in the kitchen stood the big and little wheels, and baskets of wool rolls, ready to be twisted into yarn for the winter's knitting. And each day brought its stint of work to the daughters, who hoped to be as thrifty as their mother. F. kept up a glorious fire, and superintended the small boys, who popped corn and whittled boats on the hearth. While Roxy and Rhody dressed corn cob dolls in the settle corner, and Bose, the brindled mastiff, lay on the braided mat, luxuriously warming his old legs. Thus employed, they made a pretty picture, these rosy boys and girls in their homespun suits, with the rustic toys or tasks which most children nowadays would find very poor or tiresome. Tilly and Prue sang as they stepped to and fro drawing out the smoothly twisted threads to the musical hum of the great spinning wheels. The little girls chattered like magpies over their dolls and the new bedspread they were planning to make, all white dimity stars on a blue calico ground, as a Christmas present to Ma. The boys roared at F's jokes and had rough and tumble games over Bo's, who didn't mind them in the least, and so the afternoon wore pleasantly away. At sunset, the boys went out to feed the cattle, bring in heaps of wood, and lock up for the night. As the lonely farmhouse seldom had visitors after dark, the girls got the simple supper of brown bread and milk, baked apples, and a donut all round as a treat. They sat before the fire, the sisters knitting, the brothers with books or games, for F. loved reading, and Saul and Seth never failed to play a few games of Morris with barleycorns on the little board they had made for themselves at one corner of the dresser. Read out a piece, said Tilly from Mother's Chair, where she sat in state, finishing off the sixth woolen sock she had knit that month. It's the old history book, but here's a bit you may like, since it's about our folks, answered F., turning the yellow page to look at a picture of two quaintly dressed children in some ancient castle. Yes, read that. I always like to hear about the Lady Matildy I was named for and Lord Bassett, Pa's great-great-great-grandpa, He's only a farmer now, but it's nice to know that we were somebody two or three hundred years ago, said Tilly, bridling and tossing her curly head as she fancied the Lady Matilda might have done. Don't read the queer words, because we don't understand them. Tell it, commanded Roxy from the cradle, where she was drowsily cuddled with Rhody. Well, a long time ago, when Charles I was in prison, Lord Bassett was a true friend to him, began F. Plunging into his story without delay, the lord had some papers that would have hung a lot of people if the king's enemies got hold of them. So when he heard one day, all of a sudden, that soldiers were at the castle gate to carry him off, he had just time to call his girl to him and say, I may be going to my death, but I won't betray my master. There is no time to burn the papers, and I cannot take them with me. They are hidden in the old leathern chair where I sit. No one knows this but you, and you must guard them till I come or send you a safe messenger to take them away. Promise me to be brave and silent, and I can go without fear. You see, he wasn't afraid to die, but he was to seem a traitor. Lady Matilde promised solemnly, and the words were hardly out of her mouth when the men came in and her father was carried away a prisoner and sent off to the tower. But she didn't cry. She just called her brother and sat down in that chair, with her head leaning back on those papers like a queen and waited while the soldiers hunted the house over for him. Wasn't that a smart girl? cried Tilly, beaming with pride, for she was named for this ancestress and knew the story by heart. I reckon she was scared, though, when the men came swearing in and asked her if she knew anything about it. The boy did his part then, for he didn't know, and fired up and stood before his sister, and he says, says he, as bold as a lion, If my lord had told us where the papers be, we would die before we would betray him. But we are children and know nothing, and it is cowardly of you to try to fright us with oaths and drawn swords." As F. quoted from the book, Seth planted himself before Tilly, with the long poker in his hand, saying, as he flourished it valiantly, Why didn't the boy take his father's sword and lay about him? I would, if anyone was harsh to Tilly. You bantam! He was only a bit of a boy and couldn't do anything. Sit down and hear the rest of it, commanded Tilly, with a pat on the yellow head and a private resolve that Seth should have the largest piece of pie at dinner next day as reward for his chivalry. Well, the men went off after turning the castle out of window, but they said they should come again. So faithfully, Matilde was full of trouble, and hardly dared to leave the room where the chair stood. All day she sat there, and at night her sleep was so full of fear about it that she often got up and went to see that all was safe. The servants thought the fright had hurt her wits, and let her be, But Rupert, the boy, stood by her, and never was afraid of her queer ways. She was a pious maid, the book says, and often spent the long evenings reading the Bible, with her brother by her, all alone in the great room, with no one to help her bear her secret and no good news of her father. At last word came that the king was dead and his friends banished out of England. Then the poor children were in a sad plight, for they had no mother, and the servants all ran away leaving only one faithful old man to help them. But the father did come, cried Roxy, eagerly. You'll see, continued F, half telling, half reading. Matilda was sure he would, so she sat on in the big chair, guarding the papers, and no one could get her away, till one day a man came with her father's ring and told her to give up the secret. She knew the ring, but would not tell until she had asked many questions, so as to be very sure. And while the man answered all about her father and the king, she looked at him sharply. Then she stood up and said in a tremble, for there was something strange about the man, Sir, I doubt you in spite of the ring, and I will not answer till you pull off the false beard you wear, that I may see your face and know if you are my father's friend or foe. Off came the disguise, and Matilda found it was my lord himself come to take them with him out of England. He was very proud of that faithful girl, I guess, for the old chair still stands in the castle and the name keeps in the family. Pa says, even over here, where some of the Bassetts came along with the Pilgrims. Our Tilly would have been as brave, I know, and she looks like the old picture down to Grandma's. Don't she, F? cried Prue, who admired her bold, bright sister very much. Well, I think you'd do the setting part best, Prue. You are so patient. Till would fight like a wildcat, but she can't hold her tongue worth a cent, answered F. Whereat Tilly pulled his hair, and the story ended with a general frolic. When the moon-faced clock behind the door struck nine, Tilly tucked up the children under the extra comfortables, and having kissed them all around as Mother did, crept into her own nest, never minding the little drifts of snow that sifted in upon her coverlet between the shingles of the roof, nor the storm that raged without. As if he felt the need for as if he felt the need of unusual vigilance. Old bows lay down on the mat before the door, and the cat had the warm hearth all to herself. If any late wanderer had looked in at midnight, he would have seen the fire blazing up again, and in the cheerful glow the old cat blinking her yellow eyes as she sat bolt upright beside the spinning wheel like some sort of household goblin guarding the children while they slept. When they woke, like early birds, it still snowed, but up the little bastards jumped, broke the ice in their pitchers, and went down with cheeks glowing like winter apples after a brisk scrub and scramble into their clothes. F. was off to the barn, and Tilly soon had a great kettle of mush ready, which, with milk warm from the cows, made a wholesome breakfast for the seven hearty children. Now, about dinner, said the young housekeeper, as the pewter spoons stopped clattering and the earthen bowls stood empty. Ma said have what we liked, but she didn't expect us to have a real Thanksgiving dinner because she won't be here to cook it and we don't know how, began Prue doubtfully. I can roast a turkey and make a pudding as well as anybody, I guess. The pies are all ready, and if we can't boil vegetables and so on, we don't deserve any dinner, cried Tilly, burning to distinguish herself, and bound to enjoy to the utmost her brief authority. Yes, yes, cried all the boys, let's have a dinner anyway. "'Ma won't care, and the good victuals will spoil if they ain't eaten right up. "'Pa is coming tonight, so we won't have dinner till late. "'That will be real genteel and give us plenty of time,' added Tilly, "'suddenly realizing the novelty of the task she had undertaken. "'Did you ever roast a turkey?' asked Roxy, with an air of deep interest. "'Should you dare to try?' said Rodie, in an awe-stricken tone. "'You will see what I can do. "'Ma said I was to use my judgment about things, and I'm going to.' All you children have got to do is to keep out of the way and let Prue and me work. F, I wish you'd put a fire in the best room, so the little ones can play in there. We shall want the setting room for the table, and I won't have em picking round when we get things fixed, commanded Tilly, bound to make her short reign a brilliant one. I don't know about that. Ma didn't tell us to, began cautious F, who felt that this invasion of the sacred best parlor was a daring step. Don't we always do it Sundays and Thanksgivings? Wouldn't Ma wish the children kept safe and warm anyhow? Can I get up a nice dinner with four rascals under my feet all the time? Come now, if you want roast turkey and onions, plum pudding and mince pie, you'll have to do as I tell you and be lively about it. Tilly spoke with such spirit, and her last suggestion was so irresistible that F gave in and, laughing good-naturedly, tramped away to heat up the best room devoutly hoping that nothing serious would happen to punish such audacity. The young folks delightedly trooped in to destroy the order of that prim apartment, with housekeeping under the black horsehair sofa, horseback riders on the arms of the best rocking chair, and an Indian war dance all over the well-waxed furniture. F., finding the society of the peaceful sheep and cows more to his mind than that of two excited sisters, lingered over his chores in the barn as long as possible and left the girls in peace. Now Tilly and Prue were in their glory, and as soon as the breakfast things were out of the way, they prepared for a grand cooking time. They were handy girls, though they had never heard of a cooking school, never touched a piano, and knew nothing of embroidery beyond the samplers which hung framed in the parlor one ornamented with a pink mourner with a blue weaving willow, the other with this pleasing verse, each word being done in a different color, which gave the effect of a distracted rainbow. This sampler neat was worked by me in my twelfth year. Prudence B. Both rolled up their sleeves, put on their largest aprons, and got out all the spoons, dishes, pots, and pans they could find, so as to have everything handy, as Prue said. Now, sister, we'll have dinner at five, Pop will be here by that time if he is coming tonight, and be so surprised to find us all ready, for he won't have had any victuals if Grandma is so sick, said Tilly importantly. I shall give the children a piece at noon. Tilly meant luncheon. Donuts and cheese with apple pie and cider will please em. There's beans for F. He likes cold pork, so we won't stop to warm it up. But there's lots to do, and I don't mind saying to you I'm dreadful dubberson about the turkey. It's all ready but the stuffing, and roasting is as easy as can be. I can baste first rate. Ma always likes to have me. I'm so patient and steady, she says, answered Prue, for the responsibility of this great undertaking did not rest upon her, so she took a cheerful view of things. I know, but it's the stuffing that troubles me, said Tilly, rubbing her round elbows as she eyed the immense fowl laid out on a platter before her. I don't know how much I want, nor what sort of yarbs to put in, and he's so awful big, I'm kind of afraid of him. I ain't. I fed him all summer, and he never gobbled at me. I feel real mean to be thinking of gobbling him, poor old chap, laughed Prue, patting her departed pet with an air of mingled affection and appetite. Well, I'll get the in off my mind first, for it ought to boil all day. Put the big kettle on and see that the spit is clean while I get ready. Prue obediently tugged away at the crane with its black hooks from which hung the iron tea kettle and three-legged pot then she settled the long spit in the grooves made for it in the tall andirons and put the dripping pan underneath for in those days meat was roasted as it should be not baked in ovens meantime tilly attacked the plum pudding she felt pretty sure of coming out right here for she had seen her mother do it so many times It looked very easy, so in went suet and fruit, all sorts of spice, to be sure she got the right ones, and brandy instead of wine, but she forgot both sugar and salt, and tied it in the cloth so tightly that it had no room to swell, so it would come out as heavy as lead and as hard as a cannonball, if the bag did not burst and spoil it. Happily unconscious of these mistakes, Tilly popped it into the pot and proudly watched it bobbing about before she put the cover on and left it to its fate. "'I can't remember what flavoring Ma puts in,' she said, when she got her bread well-soaked for the stuffing. "'Sage and onions and applesauce go with goose, but I can't feel sure of anything but pepper and salt for a turkey.' "'Ma puts in some kind of mint, I know, but I forget whether it's spearmint, peppermint, or penny-royal,' answered Prue, in a tone of doubt, but trying to show her knowledge of yarbs, or at least their names." Seems to me it's sweet marjoram or summer savory. I guess we'll put both in, and then we are sure to be right. The best is up garret. You run and get some while I while I mash the bread. Commanded Tilly, diving into the mess. Away trotted Prue, but in her haste she got catnip and wormwood, for the garret was darkish, and Prue's little nose was so full of the smell of the onions she had been peeling that everything smelled of them. Eager to be of use, she pounded up the herbs and scattered the mixture with a liberal hand into the bowl. Doesn't smell just right, but I suppose it will when it's cooked, said Tilly, as she filled the empty stomach that seemed aching for food and sewed it up with the blue yarn, which happened to be handy. She forgot to tie down his legs and wings, but she set him by till his hour came, well satisfied with her work. Shall we roast the little pig, too? I think he'd look nice with a necklace of sausages, as Ma fixed one last Christmas, asked Prue, elated with their success. Oh, I couldn't do it. I loved that little pig and cried when he was killed. I should feel as if I was roasting the baby, answered Tilly, glancing toward the buttery where Piggy hung, looking so pink and pretty, it certainly did seem cruel to eat him. It took a long time to get all the vegetables ready, for, as the cellar was full, the girls thought they would have every sort. F helped and by noon all was ready for cooking and the cranberry sauce, a good deal scorched, was cooling in the lean-to. Luncheon was a lively meal, and donuts and cheese vanished in such quantities that Tilly feared no one would have an appetite for her sumptuous dinner. The boys assured her they would be starving by five o'clock, and Sol mourned bitterly over the little pig that was not to be served up. "'Now you all go and coast, while Prue and I set the table and get out the best china,' said Tilly." bent on having her dinner look well, no matter what its other failings might be. Out came the rough sleds, on went the round hoods, old hats, red cloaks, and moccasins, and away trudged the four younger Bassets to disport themselves in the snow and try the ice down by the old mill, where the great wheel turned and splashed so merrily in the summertime. F. took his fiddle and scraped away to his heart's content in the parlor, while the girls, after a short rest, set the table, and made all ready to dish up the dinner when that exciting moment came. It was not at all the sort of table we see now, but would look very plain and countrified to us, with its green-handled knives and two-pronged steel forks, its red-and-white china and pewter platters, scored till they shone, with mugs and spoons to match, and a brown jug for the cider. The cloth was coarse but white as snow and the little maids had seen the blue-eyed flax grow, out of which their mother wove the linen. They had watched and watered while it bleached in the green meadow. They had no napkins and little silver, but the best tankard and ma's few wedding spoons were set forth in state. Nuts and apples at the corners gave an air, and the place of honor was left in the middle for the oranges yet to come. Don't it look beautiful, said Prue, when they paused to admire the general effect. Pretty nice, I think. I wish Ma could see how well we can do it, began Tilly, when a loud howling startled both girls and sent them flying to the window. The short afternoon had passed so quickly that twilight had come before they knew it, and now as they looked out through the gathering dusk, they saw four small black figures tearing up the road to come bursting in, all screaming at once. The bear! The bear! Eph, Get the gun! He's coming! He's coming! F. had dropped his fiddle and got down his gun before the girls could calm the children enough to tell their story, which they did in a somewhat incoherent manner. Down in the holler, Coastin, we heard a growl, began Saul, with his eyes as big as saucers. I see him first looking over the wall, roared Seth, eager to get his share of honor. Awful big and shaggy, quavered Roxy, clinging to Tilly, while Rhody hid in Prue's skirts and piped out his great Paws kept clawing at us, and I was so scared my legs would hardly go. We ran away as fast as we could go, and he come growling after us. He's awful hungry, and he'll eat every one of us if he gets in, continued Saul, looking around him for a safe retreat. Oh, F, don't let him eat us, cried both little girls, flying upstairs to hide under their mother's bed, as their surest shelter. No danger of that, you little geese. I'll shoot him as soon as he comes. Get out of the way, boys, said F. Raise the window to get good aim. There he is! Fire away and don't miss! cried Seth, hastily following Saul, who had climbed to the top of the dresser as a good perch from which to view the approaching fray. Prue retired to the hearth as if bent on dying at her post, rather than desert the turkey, now browning beautiful, as she expressed it. But Tilly boldly stepped at the open window, ready to lend a hand if the enemy proved too much for F. All had seen bears, but none had ever come so near before, and even brave F felt that the big brown beast slowly trotting up the dooryard was an unusually formidable specimen. He was growling horribly and stopped now and then as if to rest and shake himself. Get the axe, Tilly, and if I should miss, stand ready to keep him off while I load again, said F, anxious to kill his first bear in style and alone. A girl's help didn't count. Tilly flew for the axe and was at her brother's side by the time the bear was near enough to be dangerous. He stood on his hind legs and seemed to sniff with relish the savory odors that poured out of the window. "'Fire, F!' cried Tilly firmly. "'Wait till he rears again. I'll get a better shot then,' answered the boy, while Prue covered his ears to shut out the bang, and the small boys cheered from their dusty refuge up among the pumpkins. But a very singular thing happened next— and all who saw it stood amazed, for suddenly Tilly threw down the axe, flung open the door, and ran straight into the arms of the bear, who stood erect to receive her, while his growlings changed to a loud, Ha-ha! that startled the children more than the report of a gun. "'It's Gad Hopkins trying to fool us,' cried F., much disgusted at the loss of his prey." for these hardy boys loved to hunt and prided themselves on the number of wild animals and birds they could shoot in a year. Oh, Gad, how could you scare us so? laughed Tilly, still held fast in one shaggy arm of the bear, while the other drew a dozen oranges from some deep pocket in the buffalo skin coat and fired them into the kitchen with such a good aim that Eph ducked Prue screamed and Saul and Seth came down much quicker than they went up. Well, you see, I got upsot over yonder, and the old horse went home while I was floundering in a drift. So I tied on the bufflers to tote them easy, and come along till I see the children playing in the holler. I just meant to give them a little scare, but they run like partridges, and I kept up the joke to see how F would like this sort of company, and gad ha ha again. You'd have had a warm welcome if we hadn't found you out. I'd have put a bullet through you in a jiffy, old chap, said F coming out to shake hands with the young giant, who is only a year or two older than himself. Come in and set up to dinner with us. Prue and I have done it all ourselves, and Pa will be along soon, I reckon, cried Tilly, trying to escape. I couldn't, no ways. My folks will think I'm dead if I don't get along home, since the horse and sleigh have gone ahead empty. I've done my errand and had my joke. Now I want my pay, Tilly. And Gad took a hearty kiss from the rosy cheeks of his little sweetheart, as he called her. His own cheeks tingled with the smart slap she had given him as she ran away, calling out that she hated bears and would bring her axe next time. I ain't afeard. Your sharp eyes found me out, and if you run into a bear's arms, you must expect a hug, answered Gad as he pushed back the robe and settled his fur cap more becomingly. I should have known you in a minute if I hadn't been asleep when the girl squalled. You did it well, though, and I advise you not to try it again in a hurry or you'll get shot. "'said F as they parted. "'He rather crestfallen and gad in high glee. "'My sakes alive! "'The turkey is burnt one side "'and the kettles have boiled over "'so the pies I put to worm are all ashes,' "'scolded Tilly as the flurry subsided "'and she remembered her dinner. "'Well, I can't help it. "'I couldn't think of victuals "'when I expected to be eaten alive myself, could I?' "'pleaded poor Prue, "'who had tumbled into the cradle "'when the rain of oranges began. "'Tilly laughed and all the rest joined in so good humor was restored, and the spirits of the younger ones were revived by sucks from one orange, which had passed from hand to hand with great rapidity, while the older girls dished up the dinner. They were just struggling to get the pudding out of the cloth when Roxy called out, "'Here's Pa! There's folks with him!' added Rody "'Lots of 'em! I see two big sleighs chock-full!' shouted Seth, peering through the dusk. "'It looks like a cemetery. Guess Grandma's dead and come up to be buried here!' said Saul, in a solemn tone. This startling suggestion made Tilly, Prue, and F hasten to look out, full of dismay at such an ending of their festival. If that is a funeral, the mourners are uncommon jolly, said F dryly, as merry voices and loud laughter broke the white silence without. I see Aunt Cynthia and Cousin Hetty, and there's Mose and Amos. I do declare Paul's bringing em all home to have some fun here, cried Prue, as she recognized one familiar face after another. "'Oh, my patience! Ain't I glad I got dinner, and don't I hope it will turn out good!' exclaimed Tilly, while the twins pranced with delight, and the small boys roared. "'Hooray for Pa! Hooray for Thanksgiving!' The cheer was answered heartily, and in came father, mother, baby, aunts, and cousins, all in great spirits, and all much surprised to find such a festive welcome awaiting them. "'Ain't Grandma dead at all?' asked Saul and in the midst of the kissing and handshaking. Bless your heart, no. It was all a mistake of old Mr. Chadwick's. He's as deaf as an adder, and when Mrs. Brooks told him Mother was mending fast, and she wanted me to come down today, certain sure, he got the message all wrong, and gave it to the first person passing in such a way as to scare me most to death, and send us down in a hurry. Mother was sittin' up as jerk as you please, and dreadful sorry you didn't all come. "'So, to keep the house quiet for her, and give you a taste of the fun, your pa fetched us all up to spend the evening, and we are going to have a jolly time on it.' "'To judge by the looks of things,' said Aunt Cynthia, briskly finishing the tale when Mrs. Bassett paused for want of breath. "'What in the world put it into your head we was coming and set you to getting up such a supper?' asked Mr. Bassett, looking about him, well pleased and much surprised, at the plentiful table." Tilly modestly began to tell, but the others broke in and sang her praises in a sort of chorus, in which bears, pigs, pies, and oranges were oddly mixed. Great satisfaction was expressed by all, and Tilly and Prue were so elated by the commendation of Ma and the ants that they set forth their dinner, sure everything was perfect. But when the eating began, which it did the moment were off, then their pride got a fall, for the first person who tasted the stuffing— It was Big Cousin Moe's, and that made it harder to bear, nearly choked over the bitter morsel. "'Tilly Bassett, whatever made you put wormwood and catnip in your stuffing?' demanded Ma, trying not to be severe, for all the rest were laughing, and Tilly looked ready to cry. "'I did it,' said Prue, nobly taking the blame, which caused Pa to kiss her on the spot and declare that it, it didn't do a mite of harm, for the turkey was all right. "'I never see onions cooked better.' All the vegetables is well done, and the dinner a credit to you, my dears," declared Aunt Cynthia, with her mouth full of the fragrant vegetable she praised. The pudding was an utter failure, in spite of the blazing brandy in which it lay, as hard and heavy as one of the stone balls on Squire Duncan's great gate. It was speedily whisked out of sight, and all fell upon the pies, which were perfect. But Tilly and Prue were much depressed, and didn't recover their spirits till the dinner was over and the evening fun well underway blind man's buff hunt the slipper come philander and other lively games soon set everyone bubbling over with jollity and when f struck up money musk on his fiddle old and young fell into their places for a dance all down the long kitchen they stood mr and mrs bassett at the top the twins at the bottom and then away they went healing and towing cutting pigeon wings, and taking their steps in a way that would convulse modern children with their new fangled romps called dancing. Mose and Tilly covered themselves with glory by the vigor with which they kept it up, till fat Aunt Cynthia fell into a chair, breathlessly declaring that a very little of such exercise was enough for a woman of her heft. Apples and cider, chat and singing finished the evening, and after a grand kissing all around, The guests drove away in the clear moonlight, which came just in time to cheer their long drive. When the jingle of the last bell had died away, Mr. Bassett said soberly as they stood together on the hearth, Children, we have special cause to be thankful that the sorrow we expected was changed into joy, so we'll read a chapter before we go to bed, and give thanks where thanks is due. Then Tilly set out the light stand with the big Bible on it, and a candle on each side, and all sat quietly in the firelight, smiling as they listened with happy hearts to the sweet old words that fit all times and seasons so beautifully. When the good nights were over and the children in bed, Prue put her arm around Tilly and whispered tenderly, for she felt her shake and was sure she was crying. Don't mind about the old stuffing and pudding, dearie. Nobody cared, and Ma said we really did do surprising well for such young girls. The laughter Tilly was trying to smother broke out then, and was so infectious, Prue could not help joining her, even before she knew the cause of the merriment. "'I was mad about the mistakes, but don't care enough to cry. I'm laughing to think how gad-fooled F and I found him out. I thought Mose and Amos would have died over it when I told them. It was so funny!' exclaimed Tilly she got her breath. I was so scared that when the first orange hit me, I thought it was a bullet, and scrambled into the cradle as fast as I could. It was real mean to frighten the little one so, laughed Prue, as Tilly gave a growl. Here, a smart rap on the wall of the next room caused a sudden lull in the fun, and Mrs. Bassett's voice was heard, saying, warningly, "'Girls, go to sleep, immediate, or you'll wake the baby.' "'Yes, am um, answered two meek voices. And after a few irrepressible giggles, silence reigned, broken only by an occasional snore from the boys or the soft scurry of mice in the buttery, taking their part in this old-fashioned Thanksgiving. And so I hope you are able to enjoy today and spend that time with your family. And I truly wish that your family is safe and healthy so that you can be together on Thanksgiving please, if you do gather, please do so safely and carefully and listen to the guidelines that are being offered. Just real quick, the episode I wanted to put out on this Monday of this week will be out on this coming Monday. Just because of the COVID, I I was pretty sick and just wasn't able to get it out on time. So I thought I would wait a little bit and get that out on Monday. But in, in that episode, you'll hear me talking about the upcoming Thanksgiving episode, so it's a little backwards, but it's fine. All right, well, I smell some delicious stuff cooking in the kitchen. I'm going to go see what that's all about, and so with that, I will leave you for now, and I look forward to seeing what Christmas decorations you have up and sharing your memories. Take care, and have a very happy Thanksgiving day.